0: Today, I want to I want to deal with a, a a topic as we just just one that I, I really love to to dabble in because I believe life is built on this one premise. It's built on this one premise, and it's the word opportunity. Every person in this room, I believe with all my heart, in their life will be given opportunities. I think back over time and used to years ago, I would take my boys and when I was teaching them how to, to hit and teaching them in baseball and different things, what I would do is I took a piece of PVC pipe and I put caps on both ends. I took old rubber uh, like that you wrap pipes in and I just wrapped it with duct you know, tape or whatever and I made mini bats. Well, but they were PVC pipe. And then I would throw those little practice golf balls. You know, they got, you buy them like 50 of them for another. And I'd throw them practice golf balls at them. And man, they would hit them things. And I said, if you can hit this little golf ball, a baseball will be no problem. If you can hit it with this little bat. And and that's how they learned to hit. Well, one day I'm walking through Walmart and Derek Jeter's pictures on this little box thing. And I'm thinking, well, what is, man, what's Derek Jeter come up with? And guess what? It's a piece of PVC pipe. It's a hitting instruction thing, and it's got three of them little golf balls. They're selling for $19.99 for three of them little practice golf balls and a piece of PVC pipe. And I said, I knew about that 30 years ago. 30 years ago. And he's making a million dollars off of it all because he took the opportunity to say, you know what, nobody's ever patented this. Nobody's ever done this. People have done it for years. In fact, back in New York City years ago, what did they use? A broom handle. Use a broom handle and a and just a little old small ball. Or what we used to do is roll tape. it's now it's not something new. It's the fact that somebody took the opportunity and ran with it. That's the only difference. In, in, how many things have you seen in your life? That said I knew about that way before they had it in Walmart. Way before somebody else came out with it. How many things have you ever seen like that? Well, guess what? Throughout your life, you're going to have opportunities. Opportunities in the people you meet, opportunities in events that can happen in your life. And the question is, is whether you're going to seize on those opportunities or not. It's not a question of whether you have them. It's what you're going to do with them. What are you going to do with today? The opportunities that you have today, the people that you know today. I know, I know sometimes people's like. Well, Pastor lot, we push and we push. I know. But how many times are we going to get to relive this moment? How many years are we going to get to come back and say, I was that age, that time, I had that strength, that ability, and I had nothing better to do? Never. Because let me tell you something about opportunities. They don't ever come back around the same way. I can't go back in my life and be 25, 30 again and start this thing all over. All I can say is I'm 54 nearly now in a few months. And you know what? In these last nearly 28 years, I've taken every opportunity I could. That's all I can do. That's all we've ever done. So why is that so important? Because in the Bible, opportunity is the key is the key to moving you forward, making the most of that opportunity. Go with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. When Ehud was dead, this was the man who had just by himself defeated hundreds of people just with a staff. It just, I mean, basically just by himself said, look, I'm the baddest man on this block. Don't mess with us. If you send a hundred of y'all guys, I'll kill y'all right here in this field. I mean, this is, he was just such a bad person that nobody messed with him. And he was the judge of Israel. And as long as he was alive, nobody wanted to mess with him. And everybody trusted in him. But the Bible says that he died. And the moment he died, then just like anything else, and let me say it this way, you may have opportunities, you may have moments, you may have seasons, but they're all like rivers. If they're flowing, then it keeps it fresh, it keeps it moving, it keeps it... But if you ever dam it up, if you ever stop it up and it becomes stationary... It will turn sour. And what you find out through the book of Judges is, is that every moment in time when it became stationary, every moment in time when the children of Israel didn't have someone pushing them forward, didn't have someone making them do what they, forcing them to move forward even when they don't wanted to, didn't want to. Every time when they got stationary, they would always go sour. They would turn away from God. And once again, when he died, the children of Israel, say it with me, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. My dad used to have a perfect way of explaining it. And I'd say, Dad, I'm just not sleepy. I'm just not tired. I'm not. And my dad the next morning at 5 or 6 o'clock would wake me up and he said, son, I'm going to fix this. He said, it's staying up to 12 o'clock at night. We're going to fix this problem in you. And at 5, 6 o'clock, he said, you see that sunshine coming up? Yeah, that means it's time to get after you. And I would start working with my dad, doing stuff with my dad. And you know what? It's amazing how about 9 or 10 o'clock after about the middle of that week, I had no problem sleeping anymore. I didn't have to take no medication. I didn't have to have anything. Sleep came easy. I could be sitting there watching my favorite TV program on, on that night. And all of a sudden, about 9 or 10 o'clock, my dad say, son, you need to go and get to bed now. you got to get up in the morning. That's right. i got to get up in the morning. Everything in life, when the children of Israel again did evil, again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Heresheth, uh, Hagium. And so understanding this, this is a setup that I want you to see of what's taking place. And remember, I always tell you, and I'll remind you again, Old Testament is always what? A picture. And the New Testament is the reality, right? If you as long as you remember that, if you want to try to keep moving New Testament and Old Testament, don't don't go to Old Testament and try to come up with all your theology. Because we don't need women, you know, wearing things over their head every moment. We don't don't always go to the Old Testament for your theology. But you go there to understand what is it what is the meaning in the New Testament. It gives you a picture of what is taking place. So what this is a picture of, notice now, what was the land that Israel was supposed to go into and conquer through Joshua? Canaan, the land of Canaan. And I want you to notice now, this king is not a king of one city. He's not a king of just one little place. He's the king of what? Canaan. He is the king of the land. He's the king that takes over all the land. He reigns over all. Let's just describe him in the New Testament as Satan. He is Satan. He is the one who is the prince of the air. He owns it all. He reigns over all. He's ruler over all. He is Satan in description. So just keep that in your mind. But notice he has with him somebody who is the name of Sisera. Sisera operates for the king, but he is the power behind the king. He is the one who enforces what the king wants. So let's look at Sisera and let's look at him and say, Sisera is sin. So Satan doesn't rule over you. It's sin that rules over you. But sin is under the direction of who? Satan. And sin is powerful. It is not Satan that you have a problem with. It's sin that you have the problem with. And when you sin, then Satan says, you're under my rule. You're under my, because this sin, Cesara, who works for me, who operates under me, he all of a sudden has a power over you. Now, Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. He was powerful. Like sin, he has set himself up, and he's saying, you're not able, and you're not going to ever break free from my, 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 my authority. You're never going to break free from what I have caused you or brought you into. I'm stronger than you, I'm mightier than you, you can't defeat me. You can't beat me, you can't overcome me, you're stuck with me. So when we say you're stuck, we don't say, boy, I'm just stuck with Satan. You don't say that. You say, I'm stuck with this sin. I'm stuck with this problem, this addiction, this whatever is going on in your life. Now be careful, don't look over and say, I'm stuck with my husband. Because Satan didn't do that to you. Just be careful, you can, you can put some things that don't belong together. But the fact is, is that Satan, who is the king of the land, has authority over you through the power of sin, and sin says, you can't beat me. Sin says, you can't destroy me. Sin says, I've got you. But then all of a sudden, God, who has the one who sold you into it, who's the one who allowed it, Who's the one who has brought you through it? So in my life, I look many times and I say, God, you know, I need you, to, I need you to break this in my life. I need you to stop this in my, I need you to help me overcome this. I need you to help me deal with this. I need you to help me fix this. God says, I'm going to leave you there as long as it takes until when you finally choose me, when you choose me, you're going to choose me to such degree that whatever I'm going to ask you to do, you'll do. Mm. What happens most of the time when I work with people at altars or, I, or I'm ministering is that they're really not a 20-year in-bondage person. They've been in bondage or have been in a situation long enough to where they're, they're tired of it, they're frustrated with it, they don't like it, but they're not ready to just do whatever it takes to get rid of it. Right? Anybody ever deal with people like that? They'll they cry, and they'll tell you, I don't want to be like this. Well, then do this. Oh, I don't know if I can. Okay, we're, we're still. you about year five. Come back in about 15 years, and we'll talk. Because what I need you to do is I need you to be to a point in your life where you are fully sick of the way your life is, fully sick of what's been beating you, fully sick of the Sisera in your life. I am tired of Sisera. I'm tired of hearing Sisera. Every time somebody brings that name up, it makes me sick. Somebody ought to do something. You've heard that and dealt with that to such a degree, you are ready to do whatever it takes to finish and take out that problem. Now, when I meet those people, Those are the people whose lives change because what they do is they take advantage of the opportunity. God says, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you power to come out. I'm I'm allowing my spirit to come in. I'm allowing you to have connections maybe with Pastor Lot or with somebody I brought you in contact. I'm doing everything I can to put you in the place where you can be an overcomer. But now I need you to have a mindset that enough is enough. I've been in this long enough. I've dealt with this long enough. I'm not, I I'm not trying to hide it where people can't see it. I don't care if people can see it or not. I know I'm dealing with it. And I don't want to deal with it any longer. So then at that moment, there comes the Deborahs in your life. The next verse says that Deborah, the children of Israel, cried out to the Lord. When you get fed up with it, And tired of it. Maybe you're in this room today, and you're like, "Look, I'm I'm tired of it." Maybe you're listening to me tonight online, and you're saying, "I'm tired of it." Then you'll know it. You won't have to ask it, because you'll know one thing: you've done reached the point where you're not crying out to anybody on Facebook. You're not crying out to people in your family. You're not asking for somebody to feel sympathy for you. You've done started crying out to the Lord. And you done decided, there ain't nobody else can help me. And when the children of Israel began to cry out to the Lord, notice, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. The next verse, now Deborah. It's amazing how God says, all right, I'm going to raise somebody up. Probably not even somebody you, the last person he raised up was who? Jehu. Jehu is this strong guy with a stick and and we're like, we need another Jehu. And who does he send? A woman. Can you fight? Nope. What good are you? I'm what God sent you. Well, you're not what I'm looking for. You're not what I want. I can't help that but I'm what God sent. So when you're, when you're asking God, don't be, don't be getting too judgmental of what it looks like, what, what shape it is. God sent Deborah. And notice now, and Deborah, a prophetess. So she is a person who by definition is already under authority. She's not someone who is a leader, because notice what the next part of the verse is. The wife of Lapidus. Which means she's a person under authority. Being a woman in her culture, she already has to be under the authority of her husband. So she's not this battle worn. She's not this person who is, who is just going to go out and lead armies and do all this stuff. But yet here she is a person under authority who has been sent by God to help deliver Israel. She was judging Israel as she, Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and the Mount of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came to her for judgment. So over the course of time, what she had established was a, was a reputation that whatever she said worked. Whatever she told you to do, it happened. Whatever she had predicted took place in your life. And she had established such a great reputation that nobody questioned. She was the gift of God. She was the promise of God. She was the one that God had sent to to cure the problem. And notice what she does. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoah, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his multitude of the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. Wow. What an opportunity. Barak is fixing to be the guy who is fixing to take Sisera out. And it's not something that, it's not something that he had just, oh wow, I've never thought. No, she tells him from the very beginning, she says, has not the Lord God already spoke this to you? Am I not telling you something? I always tell you guys, when we we deal with prophecy, here's the one thing you need to know. You had better make sure whoever's prophesying over you, it's something that already God has put in your spirit, and it's just confirming it. I, I, if, if I come walking along praying for you, and, and God says to me, speak this into their life, and I'm praying for you, and I say, look, God's telling me that you're needing to go back to school. It, it, I'm telling you, and all of a sudden you start crying, and you say, you know, I've, been, I've already been looking that up. I've been thinking about that for the last months. So I, I just don't know if I'm supposed to do it. Let me just tell you something. God says, do it. It's the same way. When Deborah says, Barak, come here. Has not God already commanded you to do this? Has not God already said, I'm going to do it? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you how he's going to do it, Barak. I know you've been thinking, how in the world am I going to fight Sisera? I would love to do it, but I don't know how. I'm going to tell you how. You're going to get 10,000 men from these two tribes, and you're going to go to Mount uh, the mount over by the river Kishon and over by the river Kishon, you're going to set up and Cesarea is going to show up and you're going to come down off the mountain and you're going to defeat Sisera. Ooh. With just 10,000 men. He's got almost a thousand chariots. There's no, there's no, there's no way that I'm going to be able. But see, opportunity works that way. Let me give you some points about opportunity. You need to write these down need to add them to the way you think and the way you talk. Number one, God's best gifts that will ever come into your life are not things. People who sit around looking for things all the time will never accomplish anything. The greatest gifts in your life are not things. Those are people that you know. Hey, could I borrow this from you? Hey, could you help me with this? Hey, what... Anybody ever want things from you? Yeah. They're wanting things. Because the thing will fix my problem right now. And sometimes it's, could I borrow $100? Could I borrow? I need something to fix my problem. I need something to make it. But what always happens another year later? They need more what? Things. I'm trying to help you. So if you're going to help people, quit giving them things. if 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 i'm if I'm driving downtown and I see someone who's homeless and they need and I've got work that needs to be done, you know what I'm not giving them a thing I'm gonna pull up and I'm gonna say you want to make fifty bucks yeah, get in the back of the truck I got a yard It needs to be clean and you know what I find out about those people well i i I'm, not, uh, I, I, I. I'm like glad I could help you because listen, I will never Unless it's just a just moment we're passing by and I buy your lunch or I do something. I'm not gonna invest in your life by giving you things. I don't give my kids things. I give my kids opportunities. I give my kids opportunities. And if they fail in the opportunities, it means we gotta go back and try it again. It means we gotta go try it again. That may sound hard to you, but listen to me. The greatest gift God, because what I'm teaching them is not something that I want them to learn, it's something I want them to learn about God. Because every gift that I want somebody to learn is not about a human gift, it's about a godly gift. How does God operate? Well, let me tell you how God operates. God operates by the greatest thing he will ever give you is not a thing. The greatest thing he will give you is your opportunities. greatest gifts God will ever give you are not things, but they're always the next opportunity that you have. The second thing you need to understand about opportunities is this, that Barak has to, has to grasp. Barak, your greatest gift is not things. Your greatest gift right now is that God is giving you an opportunity to change 20 years of oppression, 20 years of pain. Number two, the measure of your opportunity the measure of your opportunity determines the measure of your responsibility now listen to me some people can do what i do some people cannot do what i do some people some of your your kids can do some of the stuff you do some of them can't do what you do you want to get in your biggest arguments in life is try to get somebody to take on your responsibility. If I could just get my kids to... No, that's your responsibility. God didn't gift them that way. God didn't grant them that. God didn't make them that way. He made you that way. He showed you the responsibility. And guess what? Also with the responsibility comes the opportunity. And with the opportunity rest the responsibility so when i look over my life there's many times i've tried to say let's just take the camp for existence i would love for about 12 different pastors throughout the state to say we're writing this thing with you we're all going to go to the bank tomorrow we're all going to invest we're all going in debt together we're all going to do this together you know how many i had do that well you know bro lot if i god would give me some stuff oh that's you need god to give you some stuff that's right that's you're still stuck there. If I could just get some stuff, I'd be able to do. No. You should have an opportunity. If you fail in the opportunity, it's because you fail in the responsibility. So in my life, I can look around and say, oh, well, man, God, I would do it if I just had more people. In it. God says, with the opportunity, Tim, comes responsibility. And it stinks. Look at the person beside you and say, it stinks. Because with responsibility, you're going to be standing in places nobody else will have to stand. And you'll have to speak things nobody else has to speak. And you'll have to to do things nobody else sees important to do. That's how you move forward. That's how life moves forward. Whether you call it by whatever cliche, victory is to the brave, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same. It all comes down to... Many people do not want to take the opportunity because they don't want the responsibility. Let me put it in a different way. Not only the measure of your opportunity determines the measure of your responsibility, but also put it, this is a slash to number two. Opportunity, opportunity with ability creates your duty. Opportunity with ability creates your duty so why do you do pastor lot all that you do why why do you do what you do why it's because I've been given the ability so therefore God holds me responsible for the duty of it now I know that that's if you if you want if you want more from God then ask God for more ability. Because the more ability that you achieve, the more things you learn how to do. Let me see if I can put it to you in just this process that we're talking about. When I moved here, I didn't even own very many tools. I had a lawnmower and I had a few things. That's all I had. What had happened was, is I got married, raised by DeWitt Lott, who thought a hammer fixed everything. You could change oil if you just tap that bottom of that shaft on that lawnmower hard enough. That oil will come. And, and and I've watched him destroy more things. So that's that was my teacher. The only thing I had ever built in my whole life, I took shop and I built a shoe rack, which was just two boards and a thing, and that's all I had ever built in my whole life. So I'm the last guy. that that you would think God's fixing to sin for the next 30 years and to do a whole lot of building. But what God understood one thing about me is that I wasn't afraid to learn. Learning has always been my strength. I love to learn. I remember the first time I was going to do tile. We had two little bathrooms in the back back here. And I had two people in my church that could tile. Ronnie McCarty. And Art Bradshaw, and I thought no brainer. Get them guys to help me get this tile down. I said, guys, I need to get this tile down. Do you know what they did? They gave me a book on tiling, and they, they taught me through it. I run in them time. Now here's you got to make sure you do it. I'm thinking y'all guys could come in here and knock this out in ten. Yeah, but you need to learn how. That's real friends, ain't it? Really, they are. They're my, they were Brother Art's gone on to be with the Lord, but those are my best friends. Because what did they do? They gave me the opportunity. They gave me the opportunity. They didn't do it for me. They gave me the opportunity. And through time, I've had guys give me air guns. I'm like, I ain't never used an air gun. Oh, figure it out. It's fun. Just just, just shoot that thing. And man, I had, I had a ball just learning how to use an air gun. I almost shot my face in one time, but it's, it's I learned. Do not ever hold an air gun when you're holding a board and try to shoot it this way. That thing will turn. Lesson learned. And in my life, I look back and I can tell you that I didn't get here last week. I can tell you a thousand times that I had to learn something from electrical to whatever it was I had to learn to get to where I'm at. But the ability to decide to learn, listen, opportunity then with ability makes duty. Now, let me tell you something that won't happen in my life. If I drive down the interstate and somebody's got their car lit up, hood up, and, and smoke's boiling out, I'm driving by them. Now, I may roll my window down if they're just standing there on the side like, can I help you? Can I get you to a gas station or something? I'm not saying I won't help someone. What I'm telling you is if there's smoke boiling out of the car, let me tell you the last person that will be working on your car, because I have no... Ability. Therefore, I feel no responsibility or duty. Why do you think kids are in such shape they are now? Hmm. I'm going to mess you up. You keep wanting kids to do things nobody ever taught them how to do, so therefore they feel no responsibility or no... You never taught them how to take the trash out. So they see no duty or responsibility. You never taught them how to, you told them to go sit down or look at your phone and play video games. You should have told them, put that thing down. And bring up. I don't know how to use a broom. Well, buddy, you fixing to learn today. You fixing, fixing to get educated today. We have uneducated the kids to such a degree. At 20-something years old, they're sitting there and saying, I don't know how to do that. Therefore, I don't feel any duty or responsibility for something I don't know how to do. If I have no ability, then I feel no responsibility. Oh. Maybe I should have made this a series. I gotta get through this door. Number three. He who passes by on opportunity To do good. So if you pass by the opportunity, if you pass by your opportunity to do good in order to find better, you will spend your life searching in vain. The phrase we use is I would do it if, I'll do it when. And what you end up spending your life doing is you end up spending your life passing up on the moment, waiting until everything is in line to make it easy for you. And God says, I'll never do it. Before anybody ever gave me an air gun, I was swinging a hammer. That's what makes that air gun feel so good. And that's the reason I tell people now, once you use that, you'll, you'll never use a hammer again. It'll spoil you. Why? Because if you swung a 20-ounce hammer all day, I guarantee you that thing will... But you have to start with a hammer and know how to do the job way before you just start shooting stuff. And in life, you have to. You have to decide that when's the best time to start? Right now. Right with what I have. It's not when I get a better marriage. It's when I finally decide to work on the one I got. It's not when I get better kids. Oh, you got such good kids. I got these rotten ones. No. It's the moment, the fact that you got kids. There's your opportunity. Get to work. Well, if they just listen to me, even if they won't, do it anyway. If they, if they just they, don't wait to just if they. Don't wait to that moment. Decide today to do good today. Don't spend your whole life waiting for better. Because better, most of the time, will never come. So understanding these three things, let's look at Barak. Here's Barak. He's in a problem. He's got to take 10,000 men and go against this army that's been in power for 20 years, and ain't nobody messing with him. Nobody's been able to beat him. And in fact, he invites them into a valley. The last place you would want to fight an army like this is a valley. Because chariots do real good in valleys, in flat ground, open ground. That's where they they thrive. And he invites them and says, here's where we'll meet you. Sisera is not, he's like, oh yeah, let's go. He loads up all his chariots. He loads up everything he's got. He's headed to Kishon, to the brook of Kishon. My horse has got water. We're ready to fight. You guys come on whenever you get ready. So Barak has to look and he says, God's best gift is my opportunity. I've been given the ability. I mean, he has to have enormous ability because Barak is able to go back home and say, I need guys to fight with me. And he's able to accumulate 10,000 men who will fight with him. He's gifted. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about the faith of Barak. He's a gifted man. Not everybody, I mean, can just go back home and say, look, I'm fixing to fight. Sister, I need guys with me. And 10,000 people say, we'll do it. And, and, and he doesn't pass on the moment of good. He, he says, okay, this ain't quite the situation I wished for, but I'll do it. And he looks at Barak, and here's what he says. And Barak said to her, verse 8, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Here's this great man of faith... And yet at the same time, he's scared. I want you to tell you something, that every person in this room that ever does anything good, great, whether you raised your kids, whether you stayed at a job, whether you become excellent at some field, let me tell you something about them. There are moments in their life they were afraid. And they did it anyway. Don't get it in your head, well, it just comes easy for Pastor Lot. No, it doesn't. I fight it every single day. It is part of what you do. The question is, is how far can your faith go? And you may say, Well, my faith's not enough. It is. The Bible says if you just got the faith of a mustard seed, it's enough. But what faith has to do is it can't be stagnant. Remember what I said? You can't shut it off. It has to be moving. Whatever it takes to move, then move. Whatever it takes in your life to move, then move. Now, it may cost you some of your reward. I'm not trying to deny. If you you wholeheartedly with everything, just gung-ho, take off, and do it all on your own, you're going to get the full reward. But there's a lot of times that you're going to face things, and you're going to say, I just I can't do this by myself. That's okay. Remember the guy in the New Testament, his son was, was epileptic, and demonic spirits would come on him. He would try to jump into fire. He would try to drown himself in the river. And, and Jesus says, have faith. All things are possible with faith. And what did the guy tell him? He said, I believe, but help my I believe, but please help my unbelief. I'm, I'm weak. I'm not 100% strong. Did Jesus say, well, come back when you got it all figured out? No. He said, that's enough. Jesus healed the boy immediately after. Why? Because he was honest. He says, I believe. I'm moving. I'm here. But oh, I'm, I'm not jumping. I'm not, I'm just, I'm hanging on. But help my unbelief. There's a lot of times that you're going to do things and you're gonna, as long as you're moving, it's okay. But listen, you're gonna do it scared sometimes. All you've got is that word that God says, I'm fixing to defeat Sisera. I'm fixing to remove that out of your life. I'm fixing to fix your family problem. I'm fixing to fix your, your situation at work. I'm fi-. Well, God, I don't see how- Don't worry about how. Keep moving. Keep doing what I've asked you to do. Keep moving forward. Even if you gotta find somebody to do it with. Find you a prayer partner. Find you a Facebook friend. Not somebody you can send pictures to, but somebody you can send prayer requests to. If if we changed all our picture sending to prayer request sending, we'd have a whole lot stronger Christian community. He didn't say send pictures one to another. He said confess your sins one to another. Hmm. Don't let me go there. So he looks at her and says, Barak said to her, if you will go with me. Deborah looks at him and says, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, no problem. But here's the thing. Because of what you've done, you will not get the full glory for this. In fact, you will not be the one that kills Caesarea. A woman will kill Caesarea. And I know what Barak is thinking. Deborah's going to end up killing Caesarea. Probably I'm going to catch him and she's going to cut his head off or something. But I can live with that. I, I can live with that. And so they went to battle. And I want, you, I want you, I wish I could give you a picture of this. Sesera is on top of this mountain, Mount Corin, and, and he's on, on top of this. And all 10,000 of his men, and when we say mountains, we're not talking about the Himalayas. These are like little hills. So he's up on top of this hill, hanging out. And guess what? Sesera comes into the valley with all of it. I mean, he is, he is and, and I can see Barat with these 10,000 men, and they're all looking at him like, okay, what's the plan? We're going to go whoop them. Yeah, but what's the plan? We're just going to go down that hill and whoop them. Wouldn't it be smarter if we try to make them come up? I mean, higher ground, any military person would tell you the higher ground, if you ever watch Star Wars, He warned him, he said, I have the higher ground. He didn't listen, got his legs cut off. You don't give up the higher ground. And he's up on the mountain, chariots can't get up here. They're going to have to get off in chariots and come get us. No. All of a sudden, one drop of rain fell. A thunderclap took place. And Deborah looked over at Barak and says, "Now, go." Well, hold on now. Let's let's think about it. No, no, go now. Now, in different parts of the Bible, it will describe what took place. One part describes it as. Angels were, were fighting for it. One descri- part of the Bible describes it as hail storms came down. One one part describes it as it began to flash flood and all the river, the little river they were thinking was such a blessing because their horses could drink, now became a disaster because now it had flooded and all the land was muddy and everything. And guess what chariots and horses don't do well in? Hail storms, lightning storms, and floods. The thing that the enemy said, you can't defeat us, God says, I can bring one rainstorm and destroy you. Pharaoh, do you not know that I can drown all your chariots just by bringing the waters back together? Do you not understand who you're dealing with? Your problem is not the problem. It's just the fact of whether you allow God to put you in the place of responsibility, of opportunity, so that he can create the miracle that takes place. L- listen, everything you see around here, anything you've ever seen us do, it's all because of opportunity, responsibility, and God doing the miracle. It's always the same. It's never changing. It's, it's, it's you scared and upset and like, I don't see how this is going to... Why me, God? Why do I have to do it? Why couldn't somebody else? And God says, sure Shut up and keep moving. Shut up. Keep going, Tim. Hush. Keep moving. Quit whining. And, and I'm like, I, and, and God said, keep It's going to rain soon. Something's going to change. Something's going to break. Something's going to happen. A miracle will take place. Don't you worry about it. You just keep moving toward that problem. And Barak, like lightning, comes off the mountain along with all the enemy's fears because the rain and the hail and everything that's taking place now Chariots won't move. And now, if you're sticking in a chariot and you got these things off the side and you thought you were going to mow everybody down, and now you're a sitting duck, you ain't so happy no more. And it's a massacre. Those chariots stuck in the mud and they can't, they can't do that to get off of them. And now they got a fight on hand. They're not used to fighting that way. And Israel wipes them out. Sisera, who is kind of at the back, Sees all of this happening. He's able to get his chariot out. He, get, he, he runs and, and, and tries to get away. Israel is pursuing him. And he gets to a tent of somebody he is supposed to be at peace with. This person's not at home, but his wife is. Her name is Jael, which in turn is interpreted crazy. I like that. Because to do things God asks you to do, let me tell you what, people are going to eventually, you got to be a little bit crazy to do all this stuff. I mean, just to live life the way God says live life, the people are going to look at you like, that's crazy. You ain't supposed to just give like that. You ain't supposed to trust. You ain't supposed to, yeah, I know, it's just a little crazy. My life stays crazy. And so he gets to the tent and he looks at her and he says, woman, i got to take a nap. I am out." And she said, no problem. She said, here, let me get you some warm milk. That'll help you sleep good. So she gives him warm milk. He goes down. He passes out. He's out. You stand at the tent and and make sure nobody, if anybody comes, you wake me up. No problem. Let me tell you something else about opportunity. Number four. The pessimist, and you're going to meet a few of those in your life. The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. See, culturally, he has entered into her tent, and she is supposed to take care of him. Culturally, she is supposed to die. Anybody remember the two angels that went into Lot's household? Remember Lot told them to come in, and Lot said, look, I'll give you my two daughters... I mean, that's crazy. I'll give you my two dog, But what? The moment Lot let the two angels in, he was responsible for their safety. Somebody would say, well, Cicero was crazy. No, he was thinking culturally. This is the way it's supposed to be. She's supposed to die protecting me. But what he didn't realize, she was a little bit crazy. And so listen to me. Pessimists. Sees the dip- difficulty in every opportunity. The opportunist, the opportunity, they see the opportunity in every difficulty. What do you do when you see a problem? Do you laugh or do you cry? The pessimist cries. Why is this happening to me? Why does it always happen to me? I mean, Are you that person that walks around the house for the next two days? Hoping somebody will fix it, wishing the phone would ring. Somebody take the pain away. Somebody, Are you a pessimist or is, is the glass always half empty? Or do you just laugh and say, whoo, it's going to be a story when this one's over with. And do you just smile and say, get after it. Now, let me tell you something about people who are, are faith people who see opportunity. They don't smile as much as everybody else. They don't, they don't get all giggly like everybody else. They're grinders. You don't probably even like being around them as much because they, they, don't, they don't take 10-minute breaks every hour. They don't, they don't goof off with their words or their time. They're persistent on getting to what it is they were meant to get to, to get it done. It doesn't mean they're not fun people, but let me tell you something. Once they realize, okay, we got to get through this difficulty, all oh, we got to do? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's so what we got to do. We got to do whatever it takes. We got to get there. Quitting ain't an option. We in it now. I got all kind of phrases that I use. All oh, we in it now. We knee deep in it now. Ain't no sense in a word about it no more. We got to stank all over So Ain't no sense in a word about your clothes no more. Whatever phrase you got to come up with, with a mindset of, hey, we're at it. We're in it. And, and when you meet one of these people... The pessimist cries, the opportunity says, listen, I see opportunity in every difficulty. The second thing they do is this. Opportunity means success only to the one who is ready to grasp it. Even though it may seem difficult, even though it may seem hard, even though it may seem... I remember years ago, my son, I taught this and my son has remembered this all these years. We had to move a piece of furniture. And, And in the bottom of the furniture, it was... It was just a thin piece of wood. It was it was narrow, and it it was pretty heavy. Probably, it, it was it was pushing the limit of Taylor, of just him toting one end of it. But I needed to move it, and he said I could do it, and I said all right, son. And so we both reached under and we grabbed this cabinet, and we come up, and we make about four steps, and Taylor almost drops his end, and 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 he's like oh, and I said what's wrong? He said. My end's cutting cutting my fingers. And I walked around, I showed him mine. And I had creases on both mine. I said, son, I said, it's cutting me too. I said, son, the difference between a man and a boy is when a man grabs a hold of something, he won't let it go. And I said, a boy will drop it. And I said, both are feeling the same pain. You just have to decide which one you are. You can be a 50-year-old boy always dropping your responsibility, always dropping the thing God gives you because it hurts. Oh, it's killing me. Yeah, it is. I'm gray-headed. I'll probably die at 60, but I've raised a great family. My wife is going to have a great life. I've made sure of that. That's okay. Why? Because when I grab a hold of it, you better be man enough to do the 30 or 40 or 50 years it takes to get there. And Taylor reached around on the other side. I said, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You sure? And he had that look on his face. Yeah. I said, all right. We grabbed it. We towed it. Yep, we both, it, it hurt. We were like, whew, let's go get some tea. But we towed it and he was just like, he was proud. Why? Because listen to me. You have opportunities to have a great marriage. You have an opportunity to have a great kids. You have opportunities in your life. But listen to me. The opportunity means success only to him who is ready to grasp it. To grab hold and not let it go. Will you stand? Jael took the nail from a tent stake, piggle spike. She took a hammer that she's used many a time to nail down those tent stakes. And but this time she said, you know what? This thing's got a better purpose. She took that hammer in one hand and that stick Giant nail in the and she walked over to Sisera where he was sleeping. And I know in the, in the Old Testament this sounds graphic, but she took that nail, put it right on his temple. As he was laying there, and she put it right there. And with one blow, she drove it in. And with another blow, she drove it. She kept hitting that thing until the Bible said his head was pinned to the ground by that stake. Look at the person beside you and said he was dead. Why is that that so important, Brother Lot? Because what did I tell you? Jabin represents what? Satan. Sisera represents the sin in your life. Barak catches up, finds the chariot outside the tent, and he runs up and says... Is Sisera here? Jay, standing at the tent, she said, Yeah, he's right here. Would you like to see him? That's what she said. Would you like to see him? Yeah. And when Barak walks in, what he sees is an enemy whose head has been nailed to the ground. He's dead. I think Charles Spurgeon said it best when he preached this years ago. and I just want to give him credit for this. He insisted that we should not be content to merely defeat sin. As Barak defeated Sisera in battle, we should not rest until sin is dead. And just as Jael asked Barak to look at the dead body of Sisera, Spurgeon said we should look at sin slain by the work of Jesus knowing he has already won the battle if you are content merely to conquer your sins and not kill them you may depend upon it it is the mere work of mortality a surface work and not the work of the holy spirit it's not over until it's dead till it's defeated Until you can say, you may show you where it's laying. You may show you where it died. In your life this morning, you have opportunities, moments. Maybe this right now is one of those moments in life where God said, I sent this man to tell you what I wanted to tell you. And I've been telling this to you. This is not something new to you, Barak. You've been telling yourself in the mirror for the last year. This gotta quit. This has gotta end. This has got to stop. And all he's doing today, I gotta quit quit complaining about this. I gotta quit worrying about this. I gotta quit whatever it is. Today, God says your opportunity. The circumstances aren't perfect. All the things aren't stacked in your favor. But God says it's time. It's time to watch it die. It's time to get victory. It's time to overcome. It's time to move. It's time. If you're in this place today with every head bowed. Barak has not the Lord said, you're supposed to go. Maybe this morning you're fearful in some way of like, I can't do this by myself. That's okay. That's why you have a church. That's why you have friends and people care about you. We'll fight right there with you. I'll fight right there beside you. You say, well, our our marriage. Well, I'll sit there and we'll do as many sessions. We'll pray together. We'll do whatever we got to do. I'll carry you out to lunch many times. We'll do whatever. We're going to win the battle. Don't let fear tell you not to start. Don't let fear tell you not to put in that application for that job that God keeps saying, pursue it. Don't let fear make you pull back from those kids that you think, well, they're never going to listen. Don't let fear rob you of your opportunity opportunities come around very often very few times But when they do and you react on them they're life-changing if you're in this room today i'm going to pray a dismissal prayer but here's what i want you to do i want you to decide right where you are is this the moment god you're giving me my opportunity and i'm taking it today i'm not letting Cicero. i'm not letting this fear of these chariots. I'm not letting the fear of what might happen. I'm not letting the fear stop me another day. I'm going to watch it defeated. I'm going to watch victory. In Jesus' name. Father, today, for whoever that person is, whatever that opportunity that's in front of them, that they're pursuing, that they want to See happen in their life. That you showed them. This is what life should be. It's the way it's supposed to be. If you'll pursue it. Quit waiting for somebody else to bring it to you. Go get it. Father this morning. I speak that in the name of Jesus. I confirm. I just reconfirm. And agree with what you've already spoken to them. And I declare that it's theirs for the taking. It's theirs. That godly thing that they are supposed to have, it's theirs. And I declare in Jesus' name today that they begin to break open the dams. They break open the barriers and they let flowing water of freshness, of vision, of energy, let it flow. And let movement, let movement begin from the moment they leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you'll take advantage of your opportunities. I hope you'll make the most of them. They're what you're going to remember most in your life. God bless you.